0: It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A N C H O R.fm. Back to the show! Okay, so it's a party. Yes. But about TV? Yes. Join us every Monday for a TV Party, where we'll talk about the news of the moment, the best episodes of the week, and what we can't wait to find sitting on our DVRs.
1: We'll also chat with actors, writers, and experts about TV, elect classic characters to our hall of faces, deep dive into full seasons of some great shows, and more.
0: Find us at Consequence of Sound, iTunes, or wherever you procure fine podcasts.
1: Oh, Clint, one more thing. Is it open bar? It's BYO. Oh, got it.
0: Consequence Podcast Network.
1: Hello to all of you darling pod people out there. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and this is. This must be the gig, your backstage pass to the world of live music. Each week, I bring you a conversation with one of the most exciting people in the industry. That could mean a festival founder, a choreographer, a musician, or much more. But before we get into this week's guest, I think we should maybe check in with the uh, pod puppy and our constant companion here at TMBTG Studios engineer adam hello
0: hey I, I just want to clarify pod puppy <laughs> and engineer adam my new nickname is not pod oh my puppy.
1: god can you imagine if the whole time we were talking about the pods puppy and that was you <laughs> you do have puppy dog eyes. oh thank
0: you thank you thank you no but we also have pod puppy buffy here
1: who is currently eating a stuffed taco play toy taco this what
0: is, do you call it yeah a play toy
1: <laughs> a play toy
0: I think this and I'm
1: literally rubbing her tummy.
0: I think this is the new essential for podcasting. Every podcast should have its own puppy.
1: <laughs> like that's the disclaimer. Yeah. You're not a podcast if you don't have a puppy.
0: Right. I'm talking about Bosch on Hollywood Handbook. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, Georgia from Who Charted. I'm talking... It's Ooh, just Charted. All of the greats have Ooh, their own pod charted. puppy and now we are among them. Who Charted. But this is not the puppy cast. <laughs> This is not a podcast about puppies. (laughs) Well, you
1: can hear her.
0: (laughs) But this isn't the Puppycast. This is the live music podcast.
1: But when you talk about live music, how's this segue, over the last couple of decades, few names loom larger than the Flaming Lips. The Oklahoma-based band have been wowing massive crowds with giant hulk fists There's been inflatable rainbows, confetti and more, all the while frontman Wayne Coyne rolls over the top of the crowd in a giant inflatable ball. A lot has really changed since the band's formation in 1983, but I think that their penchant for the theatric and humongous have kept them atop festival lineups and, of course, huge sold-out tours. And the last 25 years of Flaming Lips have been filled with surprises, eccentricities, psychedelia, a kaleidoscope of unexpected choices and giddy weirdness. And I had the pleasure of chatting with Wayne about what exactly it's like to roll around on top of the audience. The odds of a collaborative album literally containing Miley Cyrus's urine. Being inspired by seeing The Who live as a teen. And so much more. You've got to stay tuned for the whole thing. And then once you're done, go back. We have 20... How many episodes? 23. 23 episodes you can go and listen to. It doesn't sound like a lot, but two and three is five. There you go. We have maths.
0: And leave us a five-star rating on (laughs) iTunes.
1: Yeah, segue to. For the
0: maths, but also for the podcast. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your first concert on that five-star review and we will read it on or at least give you a shout show. out on the show in the future on the show and you know i considered just putting this out as four separate episodes that we could play all at the same time to make one greater <laughs> listening experience
1: why because tell that me that would be
0: so flaming zyrica lips
1: <laughs> this is me and wayne enjoy I miss you already it's possibly overwhelming sometimes I'm sure for you when people are like, oh my God, I saw you in 1990 and you're like, oh my God, that, I don't remember that.
2: Well, that's true. I mean, I can, I understand that they would remember, but if they, I'd be like, unless something, you know, a, a couple of events or something happened with it, you'd be like, oh, right. But Stephen, luckily, you know, Stephen, the other songwriter in the band, you know, he's got a really great memory. Um, and I think it's just the way that he processes music and stuff like that is different from me. And so he's got to—he can remember virtually everything. So I always got someone that's like, "No, nah, remember it was this? Remember it was that?" And yeah. those kind of trigger, you know. And then once you get a little bit of a flow going, sometimes you do remember more than you—you you can just sometimes on your absolute own, you know. You have a little helper, you know, yeah. or if you get to see pictures or videos, you know, that always helps you know
1: are you the type of person that you it's not that you don't remember it's that so much is happening that you feel like you need to be as present as possible or as forward motioning and you know forward thinking as possible
2: i mean i'm always taking pictures and you're always trying to remember the essence of the moment i mean like oh you know we'll do meet and greet things where you're meeting you know sometimes a hundred people in a couple of hours And, you know, you're remembering them in those moments when you're there and then you move on to the next person. And, you know, it's if you meet someone five or six times within, you know, maybe a couple of years, you start to remember them or something. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just kind of your personality. I would like to be living in the moment and remembering everything, too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's I, I, but luckily, I think you know. I, I don't feel like I'm forgetting. I, I think that's yes. part of it too. I think if I sometimes if I think about something for five or six minutes, you know, you kind of feel it erupting out of the concrete in the bottom of your mind. That oh, well, here it is, you know. But um, yeah, I, I think like doing interviews the way even like I did with you, it was like you start going, oh well, if it was this or that, and and sometimes people. Can provoke you to say things that helps a lot too. Like of oh, course. I didn't consider that. Or, yeah, yeah
1: you know. that, I yeah. think that that's the that's a great conversation, right? Coming out of it, even if it's with a fan or with your business partner, or with, you know, a friend or your family member, it's so good to come away feeling a little bit. You know, introspective And I think that that's always the goal I, I find Especially with just the, the work that you do It's so hard to Not remember well, no, it all well, I, But yeah, it's difficult it's I tricky. mean, I,
2: I, and I don't think they expect you to I mean, I think Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, definitely You know,
2: you, you remember them in the time When you're talking to them And you're interested And then they, they know Well, you're moving on And I think they're moving on too I don't think, you know it's, it's, you know I think that's part of The thing that we've all agreed to So, yeah, I don't I mean, I, I don't think we would I don't think we'd want to do it if we just didn't find it rewarding at all. You Absolutely. know. You'd, you'd just be like, oh, you know, it's too uncomfortable. But, um, no, I think, it's, I think it's a good practice to always sort of, I don't know, be listening, you know, be listening and understanding people's mannerisms and their personalities and, and knowing that they're nervous or something. You know, I think it's all good practice for me. I, I really have gained a lot from it. Yeah.
1: What do you feel is the markings of, you know, an artist or a musician who really has their, in lack of a better way to phrase it, like shit together? Like, what do you think? How how do you how does an artist get to that point where they can tour as much as you do and you and your band and make as much music as you have and be around for as long as you have? What what do you think is needed in that little you know glamp of recipe what do you what do you think is the is the <laughs> core ingredient that's needed
2: well i mean we all know for sure it is just dumb luck it's just luck it's not i mean everybody that you would run into would think that they're working hard or they're smart and you know all the things that you would you would think you know and part of it i think is i'm lucky that it's my personality that is kind of the driving force. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like a family. I like having a family, you know, around me. I come from a big family and my, I think my father was a very, you know, he was, you know, he was an alpha guy, you know, and, and I don't think I realized that part of it until I was, you know, probably in my early 40s or something you know i just didn't i never thought about that but i i do know that that i think that because it was in his personality i think it's part of it's in my personality mm. as well so i think it's you know i'm driven to kind of you know be the guy in charge and i said i grew up with a bunch of brothers and a sister and all their crazy friends and all that so i'm very you know i'm 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 i'm, I'm you know, I'm made to be in these circumstances where I'm around a bunch of a crazy bunch of dudes people. <laughs> and it's chaos and it's happiness and it's drama, you know, and it's art, you know. And so I don't think if you had the experiences that I had, I don't, I'm not sure you'd want to do it. You know, I mean, it, it really is. Yeah. It's so impossible. And so I think to some people it would be stressful, you know, but most of it is just dumb luck that the things that you really have tried to do enough not of it has worked, that you don't, you know, it encourages you and you've been able to make enough money and Absolutely. nothing. I always say not too many bad things happen at the same time. I mean, it's very difficult for people to overcome too many bad things at the same time, you know? And so, yeah, I think it's mostly just that, you know, and, you know, we've, we've not had mega mega success or mega mega failure you know it's all been a little bit of an even stride you know so every five years we're able to you know go a little further than we used to and i think that really helps you know it's it's not so overwhelmingly a big change and i think we've as the years go on you get more used to like oh we can do this and we can do that and you find that you can do more work with less stress and less all that all that all the drama that goes with trying to do the unknown and all that absolutely yeah i think yeah yeah that's experience and all that but mostly mostly it would just be dumb luck yeah
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. experience definitely does breed a sense of comfiness especially within the world that you're in but you I think by constantly changing things up with your music and your sound and where you're touring, I think that that probably helps as well, keep it fresh. But it's, yeah, that's interesting. So you grew up, you said, with a bunch of crazy people around you and your brothers and your sister and your father. So what was the sounds that were filling the, your home? What, what did you, when you were younger, what were the things that you were listening to and did they come from your brothers and your sister or did they come from your dad? Where, where were you really, where were the the musical roots? uh, Where did they come from?
2: Well, it would have been like every, you know, everywhere that I was. So my, you know, my, I have four older brothers and an older sister.
1: Oh, wow. Um, and
2: so, I'm, you know, I'm born in 1961, you know, and they're eight years older and six years older. And so they're in, and so as, you know, as the Beatles come around in the mid-60s, you know, my older brothers, and when you're a younger brother, you know, you, you, you want to just be like your older brother. Totally,
1: you know, yeah. And,
2: You know, as much as we lived in Oklahoma City, we've always lived in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. That's where I'm talking to you from even now. But, you know, we would have never, I don't, I don't think we were aware of any music that came from Oklahoma, you know, until I was probably 16, 15 or 16 years old. And we started to know musicians that were coming to my brother's house to get drugs and stuff, you know, it wasn't. (laughs) all the music that we listened to would have been you know like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and Pink Floyd and stuff that just came from most of it's coming from England or whatever but it just comes from the world you know so I don't think we ever thought about it being you know that we are from Oklahoma and we should make music from Oklahoma but so they listened to you know as much as they could back then I mean you know there weren't wasn't any way to like They would buy records, but there didn't have very many of them. But yeah, all the, you know, all the classic stuff growing up. And then my mother absolutely loved Tom Jones. And so when Tom, I don't know if you remember Tom Jones Oh my gosh, of
1: course. Yeah. yeah. Well, because in South (laughs) Africa, you know, we would listen to a lot of British stuff. So that was, yeah, he was huge.
2: Well, there you go. So, you know, as the 60s went along, you know, my brothers and their friends would all be taking drugs and riding motorcycles, listening to the Beatles and Pink Floyd and all that. And my mother would be playing Tom Jones records around the house. So I loved Tom Jones because my mother loved him. And, you know, I, I just loved whatever they loved. And so I think, you know, if you, if you followed the DNA of the Flaming Lips, if you really followed it, you would see that it's some combination of like... Uh, the Beatles and Tom Jones and the Hell's Angels and all these little influences, the Wizard of Oz, all these little things that probably happened to me when I was nine years old or something, you know. And so, you know, and, and I think those influences, luckily, they're broad enough that everybody can get a little bit. You can, you can hear it, and, and it's it's colored in your own way of. Appreciating it instead of it being just so, right? Family, yeah, you know, you know, uh, individual or whatever. Um But yeah, and so they're always listening to music, always, always, and nobody in the family is really a musician. But
1: oh, there's kind okay. of
2: people trying to be like artists and stuff. You know, we're always painting, we're always drawing, and you know, making posters and you making our own T-shirts and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so. I think when I was very young, because my older brothers they could they could draw and paint and stuff and I wanted to be like them and so I think by the time I'm in the first or second grade I'm already pretty good at sitting in the corner and drawing and painting. You know? yes. So I think that that probably really is what made me think art and music and performing and it's kind of all the same thing you know it's just a desire to be creative and I don't think I was right about that but I think as I went along I felt like well I'm kind of in this now I may as well start to figure it out because
3: <laughs> yeah you you're know in I it. think
2: yeah well I think punk rock really you know when that stuff started to happen especially in America we would see I don't know groups like Sonic Youth and The Replacements and Bruce do and stuff I mean these were guys that we could we could really relate to them, unlike the, the the you know music from earlier, the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and stuff. You know, you would never, you'd never know. Well, how did how did that that work? Whereas, you know, we could we could meet Sonic Youth. I mean, we 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 played with Sonic Youth the first time they played in Oklahoma. You know, and
1: oh wow, so when was that? that I think That's really, amazing. Yeah, it would have been like
2: nineteen eighty, 1980, maybe nineteen eighty-five. You know, and so and 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 the minutemen and all these american punk rock groups that we really were inspired by them and loved them and felt like we were you know we were just part of that scene i mean we knew we knew the butthole surfers from austin and we knew the meat puppets from phoenix arizona and so us being from you know, like Oklahoma, that just sort of seemed like, well, yeah, they're from Texas and they're from Arizona. We're, you know, we're from Oklahoma. It's all, that's what it's all about, you know? And so I don't think we gave it too much serious longevity thought, you know, we were kind of propelled ourselves into it and thought, well, let's just start to do it. And I think that really, you know, showed us so much. It's not, thinking about it it's not reading about it it's not learning about it it's just doing, doing. it doing it is is shows you everything you and know? i
1: think that's and, such a that's yeah. such a quintessentially uh important uh, conundrum i think for any creative it's like it gets in your head and you start thinking too much and over analyzing your work and i think just doing it and learning through your mistakes and through the kinks and ironing it out whilst you're doing it is so important so I know that that's. I I just think that's amazing that you have acknowledged that as well because I really feel that even even if a band has all the big labels behind them, the big support, you still got to go out. You still got to you know do the do the thing. So yeah,
2: you know it can it can cloud what you think is important and what you think you want to do, and you know all that stuff is it's it's all a fragile kind of you know ecosystem within you that wants you you know the part of you that wants to be creative that yes. really gets a you know happiness out of that or the part of you that gets stressed out about that i mean to me i i see that really being the the main factor it's sort of like you know if doing things stresses you out mm. how do you what happens to you when you stress out and i'm lucky that i think and I, I think this is just part of my personality. I don't really have that much control over it. But I mm. think when I get real stressed out, it gives me like an energy of like a panic. Like, oh,
1: absolutely. Like, <laughs> yes. like
2: I better do something or this is going to go badly.
1: And, absolutely. But some
2: people, yeah. some people the stress, I think. is crippling. It shuts them down. Absolutely. And they get miserable. And, and, yeah. it, and it doesn't feed into their energy and their creativity and all that. So I think that again, it's like, you know, as you would go along, You'd run into these stressful situations, and you know you would you wouldn't know you have the good stress or the bad stress until you're in it and so I think I just would be lucky that the hard work of it and the reward of being creative and it not being too overwhelmingly good or bad i mean I must stress that that really does play into it you know you you try to have just a good you know base of reality and common sense and if things are going. Real good. You start thinking, well, hey, you know, maybe I should just,
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe
2: I should get my way more and make more money and fuck mm. everybody else, you know. Or if it goes too bad, you, you know, you might just think, well, I'm stupid. I should just give up. So it's, you know, it's always you're always hoping that you're in the middle ground there, where you're not, you know, it's it's not overwhelmingly one or the other. It's just you doing your little thing. I mean, it, being Absolutely. creative is just that. It's just a little, you know, it's just a little urge that you get to, you know indulge all the time. Mm, mm. Group dynamics and all that stuff is so up to chance. I mean it's it's you know, I always say it's amazing any group ever works at all. Any of it ever works. It's amazing anybody ever makes any music that's any good ever, you know?
1: (laughs) Why it's just because because humans are just because humans are complex and it's it's hard to to nurture that relationship.
2: Well, it, it, well, and you don't know that you should. I mean, I think that's, you know, when you're young, sometimes things, they kind of happen so effortlessly that you don't remember that you, you have to work at it, you know. Mm. And sometimes, yeah, and, and, and it, a lot of it does come down to personality. And I think as the Flaming Lips, you know, went along, I think that I would attract people that wanted to be around, you know, a personality. Like me, you know, I mean, I, I've, seen, I've talked about this sort of thing where, you know, he before he was in the group, he he liked that I would, you know, I would be motivated. I would do stuff. You know, I didn't I didn't wait around for, the, you know, for yes. 10 people to jump in. I would just jump in and start to do stuff, you know, and I think he he felt like, well, if I was around someone like Wayne, I mean, I'm a I'm a good musician, but I'm not as motivated and mm. as, as stubborn about my convictions into this. But if I'm around someone who is, I'll, you know, maybe that's going to help me. So I think, you know, I would, as we went along, I think we would attract people who thought, I think I could,
1: I could do I think it. I could
2: help you. Mm-hmm. I think I could, I could join forces with you and help you, you know? And so I think that's, you know, part of what happened to us as well, even with, yes. our, with our managers and stuff like that, people that would, you know, they'd come in and say, I I I, I think I can help you as opposed to, you know, You're the boss, but you're not the, you can't be the boss of everything because it's, it's impossible. There's too much to do, you know, and so, so much of it is just dumb luck and just, you know, the thing that you're trying to do that it, that it, enough of it works. Or it seems like it, it's working or something
1: yeah absolutely what was the first concert that you ever went to that you felt maybe not necessarily the first concert you ever went to but the one that really stuck in your mind and you saw the front person in a light that you had never really seen live performance before and you were like this is exactly what i should be doing or it inspired you or do, do you do you have a first concert or a first memory like that
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, when I'm going all through my early uh, teenage years, you know, at the end of the early 70s, mm-hmm. my older brothers are going to virtually every concert. You know, with the, uh, the only groups that we didn't see in, in the day would have been just like the Beatles and Pink Floyd. I mean, we saw everybody else, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you know, all wow. that. But the one that I think absolutely blew my mind, and I was young anyway, I was only 16 was was seeing the Who.
1: Oh my and gosh! They were still. Wow. You know,
2: they were still with the Keith Moon and the John Entwistle, and they were to me they were very potent and like religious and just insanely like they they had an optimism and an energy and. I just didn't understand it. And then, and I hadn't, I'd seen a lot of concerts before then. And I kind of had an idea, like, I kind of know what this, you know, I I think I know what this is or whatever. And then seeing (laughs) them was just a different level. And I, and I think, luckily, I think I was right. I still believe seeing The Who in that time in the the early 70s to the, to the, you know, the till when Keith Moon dies, there's, there's just some, some insane like connection that they have when they're playing that's about energy and and and, and, and emotion and all that and, and, and i think it's true i don't i don't think i was tricked by it and <laughs> so i think that it being the who and not being i don't know why but the who just sort of seemed like more of a working class group
3: Mm. I didn't know
2: that at the time. I mean it didn't matter to me at the time, but I think because I started to believe in their thing so much, I I started to recognize oh this is like working class. That's, you know, it's not these aren't artists and these aren't musicians. This is like just dudes. And I was wrong. I mean they're artists and musicians of 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 the of But I understand high, high what you're saying. Yeah. More relatable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I mean yeah. if you're talking about that era that must have been like was that the Who's Next album era and uh, the My yeah, yeah. Generation era? I mean, that that those albums, even listening to them, you know, can set you onto a different path than it would another artist. So I love that you also got to experience that when you were 16 because, you know, your brain's forming, your personality's forming, and you're at that prime where music sticks with you in a way that it doesn't really you know, stick with you when you're, when you're getting older, you know, when you're younger, it's your formative years. It's like yeah. the music. And yeah, I,
2: I think there was some sort of, and I say religious, but I think it's more like that communal love and that energy. And and I didn't really, I mean, my brothers and other friends took drug, drug, drug. They just took drugs all the time, but I really never did. And so I think my young mind was just so completely absorbent to everything that was going on. And that little, energy that little that that communal energy i tell this story a lot because i just the previous night before the night before seeing the who mm-hmm. in oklahoma city i'd gone to see bachman turner overdrive and electric light orchestra they oh were playing wow on the same oh my and
1: gosh and back then
2: it would be like a general admission thing and we would get there early enough and we would be at the absolute at the front, front. <laughs> of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had literally sat on the stage with ELO. I literally sat there on the stage. It wasn't a barricade or anything back then. I remember seeing the Rush and Ted Nugent and all them, I, and there would be no barricade or anything. And, and like I said, there was a sense of like, I kind of know what this is. But when, when The Who played, it just had this extra thing. And I questioned everybody. I was like, well, what did they do that was different? Mm. And, my brothers with their wisdom I just be like, well, they're the who. They're, you know, that's why they're the who. You know, there's no, there's no real answer, you know. And yeah. so I think that, that my mind getting so zapped by that intangible, like what was that thing that they created? It wasn't just music. It wasn't just this. It's that mm. communal energy. And I think that's, I think that's very much part of the urge that's happening when the Flaming Nips play. It's Absolutely. not just, say, we're playing our music and I think it's, sounding good or whatever it's to make that connection you know to really feel that thing and so yeah and and you know there'd be no way that when i'm 16 i would i would know what that is or even maybe i don't even know what it is now but there's that feeling of like i think it's that i think this is what it's about you know and so yeah i mean i i mean i would always from the from the day that that happened the night that that happened. It's always been with me. And and 31 years later, in that same auditorium, yeah. backstage in Oklahoma City, I met Pete Townsend.
1: Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How was that? Well, we had done a
2: couple of things where Pete would be involved, and I knew that he was a fan, you know, and we would there would be things that he would say or whatever. And then meeting him and... You know, he's already aware of who, I mean, I'm so aware of who he is. And you walk in, and he's like, Wayne, it's so great to meet you. And, I, you know, and he's saying it's great to meet me. And, I, you know, <laughs> it's just, you can't quite.
1: Fathom that, you know, you yeah. Can't,
2: yeah. You know, it's, and that he's so full of love and he's so full of, he's listening to you. You know, those are the things that I, I started to be like, that's why I like his music so much. Because he's not, he's not fake. He's not. He's not trying to impress me. He's listening to me, you know, and I was like, that's why he's so cool. And so all those things, those suspicions that you have of like, I think I like this, you know, when they're, when they prove proved to be kind of true or right or whatever, that, that helps you too. You know, you think I like this and I yeah. like it for the right reasons. You know, you question all that. You're insecure about all the decisions you make or whatever. But yeah, then finally meeting him. I was like, oh my god! It makes so much sense why it would work because he's such such a passionate. He's you know he's vulnerable and he's mm. you know and he's open. open and all these mm. things. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I think that you ever mentioned it a little bit, you know, a little earlier, saying that Flaming Lips also captures that feeling. And you're known around the world for putting on those crazy live shows. You know, there's props and confetti and explosions. And obviously, it didn't always start out like that. It it gradually became that way. What was the first thing that you introduced into a live show that started you off on that path? Well, in the beginning,
2: I mean, the very first shows that we ever played, I mean, we always had smoke machines and strobe lights and things mm. when we we bought a this echo device called an echoplex when we were there was a time when you could buy those it was a used you know music store here in Oklahoma City and they had an echoplex and they threw in a strobe light with it to kind of sweetened the deal for us when we were going to buy it. We were like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we can afford it. And there was a strobe light device that we hadn't really seen one in real life. And they threw that in with the Echoplex. And now this Echoplex now it's it's a ten thousand dollar item on yeah. on you know an eBay or something. But back then it was, you know, this it was just sort of old gear that nobody really wanted. And so was the strobe light. And so we bought the Echoplex because we loved that it made these echoes and we bought the strobe light because it was it was fucking cool fucking too cool. <laughs> so even at, yeah. at the very first shows that we did we use like smoke and strobe lights and all that and i think most of it was probably because we just never and still don't i just don't think that we are we're not performers you know we're not we're not that kind of artists mm. where we're saying hey look at us we're we're just so cool you've got to look at us and a lot of people are like that. a lot of people are like that and I think it's great but we're just not like that and so I think we're always saying come to our show it's not about us it's about, it's about this spectacle and this thing that we're going to create but it's not really about us you know it's about the music and it's about the scene and it's about the stuff that we're going to create and I think that it's probably where we're still at, you know i think I think now we we understand that people they want to come and look at you that's part of it, but that we're going to create this this show it's not really us, it's the show that you've come to see you know, and that I think that kind of helps you feel you know you're just not so freaked out about people paying attention to you all the time it's just it's just not of our personality we're not we're introverts, mm. you know, and I think that's why we like making. Or do we like making music?
1: Yeah, that's so interesting to say, because I feel like every time I've spoken to you, I wouldn't be able to even say, you know, because we, it's difficult because you see you on stage and you would never think that you're an introvert and you're so open and so lovely, you know, in conversation, I would never, not that introverts aren't, but there's a, is there a part of you that just clicks on when it's when it has to do with your music and your artwork? Do you feel uncomfortable at all on stage or is that does that not even come into it?
2: I know it's hard to say. I think it's like having a fear of flying and then after you've flown a thousand times, suddenly you just don't have the fear anymore. You know, you just, something in your experience has said, this isn't what you thought it was or something. And so... And I totally could get that. I mean, especially when you see the flaming ups on stage, you would just think we're just the most, we're just hammed. You know, we're just <laughs> up there saying, look at us, love us, give us all your attention. Yeah. And I think we've arrived at that as a way of, it's part of the show as well. I mean, a part of, I, I think what we've done as years have gone by is you kind of have a little bit of a character that you, Say, well, this mm. it's part of me, but it's not absolutely all me and then you start to be this character and you know it's funny, I think you really do kind of become this character that you at one time you're just pretending to be and then little by little, you kind of become it and I think that's the great power of performing in a way you know when you're just when you're just doing recordings and 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 paintings and things like that you know you don't really have to get up there and do it again and again and again and i think that's that's what pete townsend said about performing you know is that because you get to do it again you get to try it again you get to try it again it's not just about the notes that you're playing it's about the way you feel about it and your performance within all this structure um and you wouldn't i I mean I, i wouldn't think that that would be real. But since we do it all the time and all the time and all the time, we just pick little, little bit, a little bit here and there and say, well, let's work on that. Let's work on that. And I think I've just done that. You you just do it thousands and thousands of times where you stand up there and you, though you're petrified, you do it anyway. And little by little, it's not. Necessarily petrifying, but I think part of it is that we just we do absolutely make sure it's all going to work. Otherwise, we would be petrified. I mean, you <laughs> go up there and you think, well, I may not be, you know, worth watching, but all this other shit that we're going to do—it's—it's it's definitely <laughs> worth watching. And so that yeah. gives you a little bit of a, you know, more of a. It's more of a confidence and more of a thrill to sort of just jump right into it, and and when it works so spectacularly, that buys you a little bit of you know, confidence as well. You think, well, it may not work tonight, but it did work 10 nights in a row. You know, <laughs> you're
3: always yeah. really sort
2: of gauging of, you know, how how potent it is or what a, is it accidental or whatever. And, and, yeah, you know, and but it's mostly that you just keep working at it and working at it and you want it to sound good and you want it to feel good and you want everybody to, you know, I think it, it, it's like a comedian in a way. You know, you want everybody to laugh at the jokes. You want right. them to laugh when you're, you know, and, so that's what we're we're working at, you know, as, as we go through the years, these little nuances of, we can do this, and I think it could work. Mm. And I think if you're lucky, you get to keep working on that, and you end up with 50 of those things that you present over a two-hour span, and it looks pretty spectacular. But in a sense, you know, you just sort of stumble upon them, you know, as sort of one going. thing
3: at a time. Yeah. Yeah, and
2: you, you keep working on it and coning it down and, Making it more obvious and more dynamic, or something, and that's all stuff that's within the performance. But it really is, you know, it's it's in being creative and being working on it and working on it. It's not just. I mean, I I use that as an example, but it's probably not true. I mean, I think like if you're Beyonce and you've got that butt, you can just walk out there and say, "Well, I'm Beyonce and I've got this butt, and that'll keep your attention for three hours." Who cares?
1: Wait, wait.
2: <laughs> <laughs> But she also has
1: a really great. Oh my god, she's so talented! Yeah, Yeah. and it's—I mean, it's like there's even if she didn't, if she came out in a sack, she would look and sing and perform because there's just this thing like emanating from her. And as you say, that's that star—it's that star power thing that you can't quite describe. Which is yeah, yeah, which is the thing you want to get, yeah.
2: And and you want and you want to behold it. I mean you want to be in front of it. You want that star to shine and you want it you want to be watching it. And I, I know. See, we don't feel like that at all. You know, we sort of feel like this is this is all a kind of a it's kinda of like watching a movie or something. You know, it's all made to sort of work at the right time. There's not I and mean, then we always sort of felt like if you took all this away, us just standing here playing our music, yeah, that's not it's not really what we're about, you know. Yeah. But um you know, you kinda of work it however you, you, know, mm. you can work it, that's what you do, yeah.
1: And your songs I feel like some of them especially, you know, over the years they they come from a really emotional place, as we spoke about last time as well. And some of them come from a total stream of conscious place. But then your live shows can be seen. From an outside, as a sort of completely massive party. And that for me has always been so interesting is how you present, as you said, it is like watching a movie. It's this. It's total entertainment slot. You know, you're watching this total show. But do you feel like almost creating that live show and that live party with the confetti and the smoke and the strobes, do you feel like it makes it fun for you as well to deliver it as an artist? Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the great
2: secret. I mean, we really are creating it for us. You know, we're we're making it so we get to do this music in this atmosphere, you know, right. regardless of what city or what building or whatever we're in. We're going to say, this is what it looks like and feels like and sounds like. And then we're, you know, we want that, you know, we want it to kind of be, we want, that's, that's the look of this. That's the feel. That's the, that's the vibe of this song. So, you know, as we go from song to song, we say, okay, let's do these things. And then having, you know, little by little having control and having, you know, lighting guys and video guys and all this stuff, people all helping you kind of, make it your own trip. I mean, all that, again, that comes into the luck and running into people that are interested in being part of your, you know, your creation and part of your, absolutely. you know, the thing that you're presenting. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah. But, and I don't, I think if we didn't absolutely dig it, it wouldn't work. You know, I mean, right. you know, it, I, I think sometimes people think, I wonder what that would be like without all the gimmicks. It's like, the gimmicks and the music and everything—it is all the same thing. It, to us, it's—you know—we're part of us is is that very introverted artist putting your emotions out there and the, your version of the truth or whatever it is that you feel like is you're putting into your music and your art and your whatever. But then part of us is just this ridiculous entertainers, you know, and we used to not know how to combine those two, and I think. The more that we, you know, would just not be so hung up on being entertainers. I mean, I think, I think being entertainers is a is just it's just a great great service. I I, I think I saw a documentary about Louis Armstrong, and we always play his his version of the song. Um, and I say to myself, "What a wonderful world!" You know, that mm. we always play that after our shows. There was an element. There was a there was a moment in this documentary where he would do these shows, you know, they'd they'd play five or six times a day, just entertaining people and and how he always felt like, well, that's, I'm doing a great, great service here. You know, that people's troubled minds and people's troubled worlds or whatever, they get to stand in front of him while he plays his, you know, his genius trumpet and they're relieved a little bit. And I always thought, well, that's even better. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not about me. You know, I don't, I never invite people in to say, listen to me, motherfucker, I always am like, if you're willing <laughs> to sit there, I'll, I'll do anything I can to entertain you, make you smile and make you feel good about being in this room, you know? And that's just a little switch that I think at one point we would have been, you know, we would have been embarrassed to think we're, oh, we're, we're entertaining the troops or whatever. And yeah, that yes. all switched for us. that We could very easily say we can do our part and we can be ourselves and we can also entertain these people because entertainment is a great is a great service you know you're doing and not because i know when i've gone to shows and i've been so overwhelmingly entertained that i have forgotten where i was you know you you wake up after the show like oh oh fuck yeah it's true though you know
1: it's true and that's that's i think half of the inspiration behind this show that i'm doing as well is that there's that personal connection to live shows and live performance uh, whether that's music or film or tv or anything that you feel like you're totally transported and it sounds terribly cliche but it is almost like the same i always think of it as the same feeling like After I come out of a great show, it's like that feeling when you're 10,000 feet in the air in an airplane and you're suspended and you're like in this box and nothing else matters. You're on the plane. And you're going from A to B. And the same thing I feel during concerts. It's like you nothing else can matter in that moment. And it's it's so difficult to mimic that feeling as a human, you know. You can have great relationships and amazing sex and, you know, all the things that we love in this world. But that feeling of watching a show is, is really, yeah, yeah. It's, it's transformative. I mean, part, of it
2: is, part of it is, well, I mean, I think it's like what, use car salesmen say you know it's like if someone <laughs> comes onto the lot, they must be looking for a car and so i mean i always say, like well you're, if, you're at, the if you're, here, you're at the show yeah you must be oh, you know I we're, not, that. we're not going to we're not going to your house and tearing you away from something else you know you're already here yeah
1: yeah you know
2: it's it's sort of set up like Let you're ready entertain to you. be transported mm. or whatever you know so you know yeah it, it's all that yeah, I, love and, that, and yeah. I, I, I don't think it has to be the greatest thing that's ever happened to you either. I mean, it can really just be a great moment and a great night. And then you can go back to your great life. You know, I don't, you know, the idea of me being 16 years old and seeing the who that doesn't have to happen to everybody every night. You know, I go to see shows now and I can say that was a great, great show, but I'm not utterly a changed person by it. It's just a great, it's just a great night. You know, it's a great moment. And so, I think our experiences, little by little, just let you see. Oh, you know, this is this is their night out. Let's just make it that it doesn't have to be this grand life-changing event every time we play. And for some people, it is. You know, some people, you know, they're seeing you play is this this spark that made them decide this or that. And
1: right. For yeah. For other people,
2: it's just another great show. Just entertainment. You know, it doesn't. It can be. Yeah. It can be. It can be both. Yeah.
1: I love that you mentioned that documentary, by the way. It's like, from, I think it's from like 2000. I remember seeing it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's uh, so amazing. I really like, I hope whoever's listening, if they haven't seen it, they can go and watch it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a fantastic well, well, little... Part of,
2: what, part of what I always liked about him is that he always had this smile, you know. Mm. And, and The flaming lips early on, we would always, we would just be having... Fun and we would be laughing and smiling, and it would always we'd always feel kind of embarrassed that most of the groups that we really you know thought were cool you know they took it they were they were serious and they looked like they were pissed off. I mean, I think <laughs> someone like Nick Cave or something when he's singing, it's like
1: he's, <laughs> he's gonna know, rub like, your head off. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Don't don't look at him in I the love head, it you know? yeah I love it. Yeah, even though that. he's not really like that, he's really no. is quite funny and he's got a great sense of humor and all that. But you see him and you think, well, we're just the these dorks we are not like him you know and and i think seeing someone like Louis armstrong and he's smiling and he's not you know he's not trying to pretend to be something else those things would always help us as well and i you know actually seeing nick cave and then and, and finding out that he had a sense of humor and all that 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 even helped me a lot as well to think oh he's he's out there he's he's a character a little bit And then when he's not singing he's this other guy and they They're very similar, but it's not the same thing. And all that helped us a lot to know it's, you know, you're,
3: you can embody that larger. Mm. Yeah.
2: You can can become this other thing, you know, if you want to. Yeah. And then that's, and that's allowed. That's not necessarily fake. It's part of, you know, what's allowed or whatever. Yeah.
1: And also, I love what you said earlier about you've kind of grown up around so many people and had this really kind of uh, large plump orbit of you know social life around you and people around you and that's how i always i always think you you do all these covers and you collaborate and perform with a lot of musicians you know you mentioned nick and you mentioned pete do you have any favorite people that you love to perform with outside of your band that you really feel they embody that fun and that sense of community that you feel well
2: yeah i mean you know i mean that the record that we made with Miley Cyrus you know the record isn't just us but you know a good bulk of it is the Flaming Lips and Miley you know and we would do shows together we would we would create the whole stage stuff and all that together and probably her more than anybody else I mean I, I, I you only have so much time to spend you know with people a lot of times you know we're doing collaborations it's you know, we're doing a song, and sometimes we're together, and sometimes we're not. But I'd say more than probably anybody else, we've spent you know a lot of time with her. I mean, we're great friends with her, and you know, we genuinely are interested in and and love each other. That's probably more than any anybody else. Even though there's lots of great connections out there, we have probably haven't done as much music with anybody else that we've done with her. And part of it is she's crazy too. You know, she's she comes from a big family, and she comes from a big. You know, it all, all music is allowed, you know, it's not country music, it's not pop music, it's just whatever, her knowledge of music and, and she's, you know, she's she's quite determined and she's smart and she's, you know, she's got a lot of energy and all that stuff. So I think us as a combination, mm. I think really helped each other, you know, get things done and, you know, move it from just being an idea into being, here's the songs and here's the, right. here's the show and you know, and all that, so, and that's and that, those are big endeavors. You know, because you can easily, you know, say, "Oh, that's that, I don't want to get that involved, and let's just, you know, do our own thing or whatever." And um, and and so that part of it, I think, that'll probably always be happening. I don't know how mm-hmm. many records that we'll make, but I mean, we're always kind of in each other's yes. stuff, interested in what we're doing and stuff. But that time, you know, with her making that "Miley Cyrus and the Dead Pets" record, and there was shows and things we did after that that's that's about as intense as i think you'd you'd want to get
1: (laughs) well i read a really funny headline actually i don't know if it's true but that you said that you've had collaborations and things with kesha and erica badu then i read somewhere that you want to use miley's urine for one of your vinyls i don't know if that's i don't know if that's well
2: Record Store Day yes. event that, you know, now I, I think it's a worldwide event, but yes. I don't know. Now in America, it happens twice. And every every year on Record Store Day, since that Miley Cyrus and the Death Pets record has never been made into vinyl, I bring up the idea again of like, let's make it a, a double album and we'll fill it full of your piss and we'll put some glitter <laughs> in there and that'll be a great, great collecting <laughs> item.
1: Wayne! Because that's... I mean, we, <laughs>
2: Well, well, we've done it, it, one of the collaboration records that we did, you know, was filled with blood from yes. all the artists that were on it. You know, so yes. it, I know how to do it and I know it can be done and I know it's I know it's ridiculous <laughs> and all that, but I mean, it's, it, r- it, it, you know, and so I'm, I, every year, you know, about, you know, probably by the end of January, I'm thinking, well, are we going to do it this year? And yeah. So, yeah, it, it comes up quite often. And one of these years, she's going to, Say yes, somebody's I'll, gonna i'll get to work on it. Yeah. A
1: vine. i mean i heard that drinking your own urine is really good for you just like an apple a day <laughs> but like i've never heard of putting it in your actual vinyl and then you know <laughs> listening to i love that you said like pee in it and then also have a bit of glitter because you know you gotta make it sparkle yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I think people would, would just assume that if Miley Cyrus teeth, there's going to be glitter. There's going to be so,
1: glitter, <laughs> <this> yeah. <laughs> of
2: course, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so, okay, so this is just an idea, or have you actually done this? No, I mean, I think it's well, I know
2: how to do it. I know. we okay, can uh, okay. Actually, do it, but it, yeah, I mean, I just keep waiting <laughs> because there would be a lot of other parts of it that would have to be put in place. But I know, I know, I, I would want it to be. Yeah, you know, you'd want it to be an outrageous event you'd want it to be an outrageous package you know Sure, uh, you sure. Know, that, that Look, you would, you'd, you'd want to own it you it's know, courageous it. Yeah. yeah no yeah. it's and yeah. and
1: i know that you know it's hard to up up your you know one up yourself with, with if you've had human blood before you know in a vinyl right. yeah. so i guess yeah i guess urine is is a definite i i suppose <laughs> yeah i'm surprised you haven't done it actually you <laughs> know i'm joking well, I don't
2: think I'd want to deal with too many people's urine. I mean, I think her urine is, would be a little bit—you know—that'd I mean, be a little bit special. You know, yeah. the Brits would yeah. then
1: say, like, you're taking the piss. You know, the jokes well, that could come—the yeah. <laughs> jokes that would
2: be literally doing that, yeah. literally <laughs> yeah. taking
1: the piss. And, um, and,
2: um, <laughs> getting the blood is—I is, mean, that's difficult, and that is.
1: Oh my gosh! In a lot of
2: senses, that is illegal, and so yes, both would be very limited. But I. You can pee a lot. You know, you can get a lot of pee out of a person in a, in a day. And, you know, you can fill up quite a few records. <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. But so, and tell me, talking about these live performances, you've traveled the world and you've toured in the most outrageous places and, and met the, you know, craziest people. Is there a show that you've played where just I have a crazy imagination, so I could probably imagine what could have possibly happened? But did anything go maybe not to plan something that happened that you were like, Oh my God, the world is just, you know, something's working against us. Well, yeah. I mean, all the time, really.
2: I mean, I think that, <laughs> that really is what drives you to be so, you know, to work so hard to make sure, you know, if if, if we're going to do 20 things, you know, five of them may not work. And, you know, so you're always, you're always, you're always having backups, but nothing overly tragic. I mean, you know, there's been, Plenty of times, six or seven years ago, we would have like 20 people from the audience come on stage with us. we would
3: We Mm. would put
2: them in these costumes and they would dance on either side of the stage. And most of the time that would be, that would go well. It would just, you know, it'd be a little bit hectic, but everybody would get a kick out of it. But occasionally the people in the costumes would be just completely out of their minds drunk or fucked up on some... Xanax or something <laughs> and as the show would go on they would kind of you know be these zombies that you couldn't quite contain and one time we were playing I think it was in Sweden because I think Neil Young was getting ready to play on a stage to the side of us and it was a really tall stage and one of the Xanax taking people in the yeah. costumes walked to the front of the stage and literally <gasps> fell off, oh, you know, and I remember gosh. being like mid-song and I could see <gasps> him hit the concrete down there mm. and the audience didn't really know it was happening, so I didn't really feel like I would stop the show or anything, but I did see him fall and he kind of you know, I couldn't tell if he hit his face or his head or whatever, but he kind of hit and then didn't move. But oh, luckily, you know, the, some of the Flaming lips crew were aware of it as well and we you know, and they ran down there and sort of, and, you know, yeah. And I, I remember checking in, like, is he dead? And they're like, no, he's he's fine. Oh he's, he's laughing. And you're like, oh, okay, you know. And, and there's plenty of times because we're playing and it's, it'll be it's hot and we have smoke machines and strobe lights and stuff. Not Not very often, but like once every 20 shows or something, there'll be someone close to the front of the stage close enough that we can see it happening, that they'll have like a a seizure because of the strobe lights.
1: Oh, that's so scary.
2: Well, we've seen it probably more than most paramedics, just because it happens a lot at our shows. shows. But if you've never seen it happen to your friend, you might think that they're having some kind of really, you know, dangerous, you know, life-threatening event, you know. So when we see that happening and you can see that people are, You know, kind of alarmed by it and panicked by it or something. You know, we'll stop for a minute and just sort of be like, this is going to be okay. You know, they're going to, they're going to get them backstage and I'll let you know how it goes. And after about 30 minutes or so, you know, I'll be checking in on them. And then inevitably, after about 30 minutes, they'll come on stage and everybody will see that they're fine. And it makes a really great (laughs) great humanistic moment, you know, because we're all kind of involved in it. But other than those sorts of things, I mean, things are always going wrong, but you don't really, nobody really cares. I mean, Mm -hmm. most things are going right, and it's not that big of a deal. It's, You know, and if something really horrible happens, everybody kind of knows, and, you know, we all do something about it. But yeah, like the the space bubble that I'll get into Mm -hmm. doesn't always inflate. Sometimes it's got a hole in it, and we don't see it. And, you know, all these sort of gags that you try to do, there's... Yeah, there's always potentially you know embarrassing things where Yeah are staying there and nothing is happening. And I tell a story at the end of the night. We have a, this big inflatable rainbow that we bring out for the very last song. And the very first night that we went to use it, um, for whatever the reason, the extension cords and stuff that we were using just simply didn't work, you know. And we had this this great sort of dramatic moment where in the middle of the song, it was supposed to inflate, and I was going to stand underneath it, and we had lights all organized and stuff like that, and it just simply wouldn't inflate, you know, and <laughs> nobody knows it except us, and we're, mm. we're sort of riffing on this one section, <laughs> thinking, well, once this inflates, we'll move on to the next,
1: yes, you we'll know, progression,
2: and, and, yeah. But once it did inflate, I have to say, you know, that the whole idea of if it doesn't go as planned, you know, is that does that ruin everything? And you know, once it did inflate, it made for such a great, great, great moment, you know, that it was better that it was kind of fucked up than mm. if it would have gone as planned. And so part of us kind of knows that too. It's kind of like, well, let's let's get something together that we think is going to work and then let's just start to do it. And you never really know if you know what's going to happen. And sometimes what goes wrong is actually better than if it went right. So, Absolutely. Yeah,
1: you know, yeah that's yeah. an amazing attitude to have. I mean, look, you mentioned the Zorb, that human ball that you get into. That, like, it can pose a whole bunch of challenges. But when you're in it, do you see the people's faces? Can you see anything or are you just completely? Yeah, yeah. So how... Yeah, <laughs>
2: Yeah, only occasionally that it's a little bit fogged over or something, but not very often. And yeah, I can absolutely see where I'm going, and I really do have control over it. I make it appear like I'm just being that you're of, out
1: of control. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm lifted by the crowd or whatever, you know. <laughs> but I'm really, I'm I know where I'm going to go, and I know in the. Music that we're doing when I, I want to get there and I got to get back or whatever and yeah yeah it's I mean, a great way to get that. to the
1: bar very quickly you know <laughs> <laughs> you can skip the cues.
2: <laughs> but um, but mostly even in that you know I'm I'm just trying to be aware that people don't don't hurt each other yes, you know they of don't course. get in such a a rush and you know to to be around the space bubble and then they trample each other or that there are some smaller girls or something that might get trampled by the bigger guys or whatever. And so that's, you know, when I'm doing it, it's mostly to be, oh, I'm here, but ooh, that's a, you know, I'm, I'm moving along so that that doesn't happen. But after, again, you know, after you do that a thousand times, mm. all that is just, it's muscle memory and it's not, it's not anything. It's a joy to do it because it, when it goes right, people get such it's a It's so amazing great, to see. Yeah.
1: And they yeah. get to,
2: we have this moment together, we all get to, you know, everybody's lifting me up and we're together and it, you know it's just it's ridiculous but it's a great moment and so the you know the risks of it are pretty minimal compared to the, the great fun of it you know but I'm always aware of that and we always go through like a security meeting with everybody at the venue to say here's what Wayne's going to do here's what's going to happen and look out for this and you know it's we're, we want it to work and we don't want anybody to go in there and you know, get a beer spilled in their face and be pissed off. You know, of we go to work and be good. You know, so
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because do do you feel that like that festivals and especially when you're in that you know especially at festivals, gigantic festivals, do you feel like those can be safe spaces or do you feel like you should just know that you're rocking up to a festival, you can potentially get sunstroke if you don't drink enough water, you can get a beer thrown on you, like how much of the responsibility is it for the artist to ensure that that space is safe? Oh, I
2: don't know. I mean, I think. I think audiences are pretty used to all that. I, I don't think any of that.
1: Moving forward, do you have any new and exciting things that you're going to be doing with the live show or at least anything that you are working on at the moment that you're excited by?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, at the moment, we've got this other, this this art installation that's been, we've just been calling it the King's Mouth. And it's this,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's this sort of, uh, it's hard to, to, um, to imagine just in your mind, but there's there's pictures and things online where it's this this sort of 3D interactive. It's video, but it's also music, and you sit inside this this thing. Now it's happened mostly at art museums, but it's oh, happening wow. at the moment at uh, Meow Wolf in uh, in Santa Fe. So Meow mm-hmm. Wolf is like the new version of interactive, all ages, freaky art museums, you know mm-hmm. and this King's Mouth, it's just built little by little. I mean, in the beginning, it was just something that we had in our thing that we call the womb here in Oklahoma City. It would be our kind of warehouse space that is also a party party space and stuff like that. But then it's kind of grown into having its own sort of identity and its own music, and we've made you know toys that go with it, and mm-hmm. we've made videos that go with it, and now we're about to finish an album that goes with it. And so it's just kind of taken on a little bit of another alternative life to itself, which we're very happy about. I mean, the idea that you, you know, that your imagination doesn't really have any restrictions. You know, you just start to work on something and if you keep working on it, it goes here, it goes there. And I can imagine, you know, a lot of groups wouldn't want to do something like that because it doesn't involve performing. It doesn't yes. involve any of that. You know, it's, it's just another type of, creation i think all those things have always kind of excited the introvert part of us because again it's like you can go see this thing that the flaming lips have created but we're not standing there in front of you you know even though i do go to a lot of the openings and yes. you know sign things and you know take pictures and all that but it's just another thing that's kind of it re- represents us without us having to represent it you absolutely know? So that, that yeah and you know we've done like you know, we do movies and things like that. You know, that's not out of the realm of what a lot of bands do. But this idea of art installations and I think a lot of people have a great desire for that sort of stuff. I mean I run into a lot of guys that are in groups that want to get out of just yeah, we make a record, then we go on tour, and then we make another record and we go on tour. What else is there? And I think the flaming lips would be a great example of like other ways to, do to showcase yeah. your
1: art, absolutely. Yeah. Is there a performer that you have yet to perform with, that you are dying to perform with? You know, somebody that has been in the back of your mind all these years. Is there somebody that, you know, kind of embodies that spirit that you have, that you would love to collaborate with?
2: Well, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of them are dead by now or whatever, but there's a, there's still a few. I mean, we, we, I know it might sound silly, but I mean, like, we. I really love Sade and oh, i really love, I love
3: Bjork Shardé. and oh, and,
2: <laughs> and there're two that i know it's like i mean i maybe i mean york more than Chardet, um but you know it's it's not really up to me you know it, it, it's up to them to say well let's do something you know because i'm always and we were always reaching out to you know david bowie even even though in the in the years before he 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 died we knew he was ill and all that but we would always reach out and, you know, say, hey, we're doing this. We, mm. you're invited and we'd love to be part of this. You know, you're always always doing stuff like that. Yeah. You know. There's always a list of badass people out there that you would, love uh, would to do it. Yeah.
1: And lastly, yeah. before I let you go, I love that you obviously are, you know, open enough to admit well not admit, but you embrace how introverted you are and how the performative side of you is an extension and not necessarily the whole of you for people who are listening who are introverted and kind of it feels crippling enough that they can't do their art is there anything that you say to yourself maybe just before you hit the stage that allows you to really break free from feeling introverted and feeling that fear is there anything that you say that could conquer that
2: well i mean other than that you know you've done all you can you know and you You know, there's nothing more embarrassing than you get up there and you know something as simple as your guitar cable doesn't work. You know, <laughs> and all of those all those things that you could control. I'd say anything that you can control, do it. You know, don't don't leave it up to someone else to to do this little bit. If it's important to you, then it's important. You know, and if you've done everything you can, you know, and you've not, you know, I feel like that's that gives you a little bit of a superpower that you kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm doing my thing and I've done everything I can, so here I go. And part of it is that it's just not that big of a deal, you know. People, people oftentimes get up and say things and do do amazing, amazing things, and they don't fucking know what they're going to do. You know, people <laughs> do it all the time, yeah. and they're. And they just get up and do it. And for us, I mean, the idea of being in a band, you know, part of it is that you know you're going to perform in front of people. I don't think we knew in the beginning that we were introverts or not. You know, we didn't really think about it. But once you would run into, you know, someone like Kesha or a Miley Cyrus, you know, you'd be like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you guys are, <laughs> they're there you know, you guys know. are, you, you want to you know you would be at a party, you'd be singing and dancing, and you'd be the life of the party, which whereas you know we would be at a party, and we would just be listening to the music and getting drunk you know it would this you know and again, I think it plays into your personality that stress is part of what where the charm is, you know um when we met post Malone mm-hmm. um a couple of months ago, you know I still get the feeling that he's just blown away that everybody loves him so much you know and when you meet him he's just so wonderful because it's all like isn't this great it you know and 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 it is great and it's great it can be such great fun and oftentimes you meet people that have been through the exact same experience and they're just miserable Mm -hmm. when everything could be so much fun they're taking the exact same experience and making it utterly miserable and we've been around plenty of famous people that have done that where it's like this is this is the life this is the greatest night ever and you're miserable and mm-hmm. so I think being around that kind of shows you a little bit of like let's not do that let's not be yes. that right. you know and <laughs> yeah you know because I, I don't think people know how to be you know you, I don't think you know that you're allowed to celebrate that people love Enjoy you that's you. fine mm-hmm. yeah Celebrate that it's great. It's not they're not loving you. You know they're loving this your music and your ideas and the way you look and all that. And you're putting it out there to be loved. You can still be you and still do this this thing that isn't you. You know people do it all the time, and I think it's encouraging. You know I, I see people do it all the time. I think well, look at those motherfuckers. They're they're not worried about it they're not they're not scared of it they don't fucking know what they're doing and they're just going to go up there and do it and it's
1: it's it's inspiring yeah well thank you yeah Yeah. thank you for not being miserable i suppose thank you for being for embracing (laughs) it and and being so open and having so much fun